0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. As moderator for tonight's broadcast, And so after these press conferences end, CNN will often go to their anchor and they'll have Jim Acosta, the profoundly stupid, arrogant and harmful um, White House political correspondent for CNN. They'll have him come on. They'll have John King come on, who's a seems like a really good political stat guy. Right. But I don't know what. Political statistical analysis has to do with whether or not doctors are right and people are right about policy. Then they have another guy come on in another square named Daniel Dale, who is their CNN fact checker, as if those people are never wrong. The job that he has is to constantly tell you why Trump is wrong and do so on the basis of the very things I've been talking about this whole time. That's literally his job. And then they have Sanjay Gupta, our resident uh, medical explainer. The only problem is Sanjay Gupta misread Chris Cuomo's coronavirus chest X-ray on live television. The person... That we are supposed to believe is their expert informing all their stuff, leading the CNN town halls, telling us exactly why um, all these assessments of coronavirus are inaccurate. Cannot read the chest x ray of someone with coronavirus. He was thoroughly debunked, but he remains on air because there is no punishment for them to be wrong. And the people watching it on their side will not disregard anything they say as long as they keep reaffirming those people's prior positions. And then what they proceed to do is they proceed to analyze whether or not the things that Trump and the doctors said were accurate or helpful. And then they add on all of the risk factors on that side. They pile the entire risk onto that side. And by the way, they're the ones making decisions. It is their responsibility to manage that risk. But the counterpoint that they present again has absolutely no risk. There is no punishment for them being wrong about the things that they are saying, which means if they constantly go against Trump, then when they're right, they look like heroes when they're wrong. No one cares. And I obviously don't mean physical or even legal punishment, but they are not losing viewers based on the fact that they have consistently been misinforming everyone for the last five years and probably much longer. And so what this speaks to now is is we have a a president who, for his many personal ills and suffering, is nonetheless in this position. I, I should say our suffering from his personal ills. Um, he's nonetheless in this position where he has to be the one that does weigh the, the moral consequences of this and does say these things are reasonable in the context of this model oh well now this model has dropped its assumptions again and again and again that means things are working really well we should all be positive about that but we should also take note of the fact that the model as new better information is fed into it continues to change and so so back to that the example i was talking about with my friend regarding the are not right so let's say today you are we're attending a wedding with 200 people. It was 200 people in one room, and none of them had masks on, including yourself. If one person has coronavirus in that room, and that person, because they're just a lovey-dovey, touchy-feely kind of person, goes around and kisses everybody on the mouth, you might have that one person have their singular or not be 200, because or not 199, because they've infected everyone else at the at the wedding. If that person is wearing a mask and they go around and hug everyone, they may still transmit the disease. I'm not saying they can't, but the the chances of them doing it fall drastically because we know that communicating with people through a mask is far more safe in this situation, far safer than them kissing everybody on the mouth. Right. So in one instance, the R not is is one hundred ninety nine. And in the other instance, it's something lower than that. Now, if that person and the other 199 people all had masks on, so now we have a room of 200 people in masks, it's entirely possible that 10 people in that room have coronavirus and that none of them get it, that none of them transmit it, that no new person has coronavirus. Okay? And that's what the mitigation steps are. And the models have to account for those things. but. If we told you that the R-naught was 199 rather than zero, those are entirely different situations. And different situations are actually what make up averages, and that's what that is, okay? So it's not automatically scary to be in that situation, although it could be. Right. And so the parallel I'm making, this is a really easy one to understand, I think, is when we're all in sex ed classes in, in junior high and high school, right? We get taught that if you want to avoid sexually transmitted diseases, then you should wear a condom. And that turns out that works. That's a great prophylactic. It's a great mitigation system. Okay. So it's entirely possible that if you have sex with someone who has chlamydia and you don't have a condom on or, you know, obviously opposite way around, if girls and guys, whatever, then you are Potentially exposing yourself to catching chlamydia based on how transmissible it is, right? If you wear a condom, then you're protected from that. The other two ways to not get chlamydia are to not have sex at all, which some people choose, or to know who your sexual partner is and know that they don't have chlamydia. Because it's not wearing a condom or not wearing a condom that chooses whether you're getting chlamydia. It's whether you choose not to wear a condom and have sex with someone who does have chlamydia, whether they know it or not. That's how you get the disease, right? You can't get the disease from reading a book. That's not how it's transmitted. You could actually read a book with another person who has chlamydia and not get it because that's not how it's transmitted, right? So similarly, while this disease is much more transmissible and can be transmitted in public spaces as we've seen, that doesn't mean that the uh, the number of cases is evenly spread across the nation. There's no reason to believe that the people who are interested in keeping their mechanic shop open in the middle of Idaho are enduring anywhere near the same level of risk as people in New York City who are going out and taking pictures in Central Park. But we think of the people in Idaho as these backwoods dummies, and we think of the people in New York as these sophisticated metropolitan people, and we assign blame based on that. That's fucking crazy. The point I'm trying to make is that Just like the virus has no regard for state borders or country borders or your ethnic makeup or whether or not you're a good person. Everyone can get infected equally, right? That doesn't mean that everyone has the same chance of getting infected. All right? Not at all. Because the virus while it doesn't care about borders also doesn't have the ability to jump from a New York subway into a mountain town of North Dakota, unless a person travels from one place to the other and takes it there. Okay. And so the, as long as that situation isn't happening, then the the risk in that small mountain town remains at zero because if there's no one there that has the disease, then there's no one there that can give the other people the disease. So the idea that they should be locked in their homes under those circumstances, is utterly insane. And now that we've done this for long enough, they can take account for the scenarios where that might have been transmitted within that small community over these last few weeks that we've been in lockdown. And then they can address that one little hotspot or that one little spreader and then begin quarantining people in a targeted way. Okay, but that doesn't mean that that town in North Dakota needs to be closed. It also doesn't even mean that they need to wear masks. Masks are a helpful prophylactic system of mitigation. People should wear them because we have this threat and no one wants the disease and no one wants to pass the disease to someone else. So it makes sense to ask people, please go about your lives as well as you can, but also take your fellow citizens into account, take your families into account and use these steps to mitigate however you can. And by the way, that is actually what the experts have been recommending the whole time. They re, they decided that they we needed to go into lockdown to prevent a massive spread and to flatten the curve, and they decided that based on the Neil Ferguson Imperial College model that had astronomical figures of what could happen. Now the figures are much lower. Now the IHME model is in the neighborhood of of sixty thousand deaths, which, by the way, is similar to a season of flu. Now these are not the same, okay. I understand this disease is more transmissible. This disease has a greater chance of people experiencing severe symptoms, including death. Okay. So they are not the same. The point I'm making though is, and the point that everybody who brings this stuff up is no matter how many times you try to dunk on Dr. Phil online, and we have the entire media class dunking on Dr. Phil, because he said this, I hate the word dunking. I don't know why I'm saying it. But they are all trying to make a fool out of Dr. Phil for for making the point he made the other day. But the point he made the other day was not that this is the same as flu or car crashes or deaths from from smoking or heart disease. He wasn't saying that because those things aren't transmissible. And this one is any fucking numbskull can come to that understanding. We don't need the national news making Dr. Phil's statement a huge point of contention based on the obvious observation that is already probably embedded into his thinking. Because I share that thinking and it's embedded into mine. But the thinking is not that. The thinking is that our society regularly has found a way to absorb the deaths of a lot of people And we have found a way to absorb, in a moral sense, I mean, the deaths of those people due to various circumstances. So no, we don't want anyone to die of the flu. That's why we have a flu vaccine and that people try to take care of themselves. But nonetheless, people do die of the flu. And they are, in large part, the same population that is especially vulnerable to this illness. But we have found a way to absorb that cost because eradicating the flu is not something that can happen and we can take the best mitigation efforts possible, but we do not close down society. Now there are other dangerous activities that get people killed that people, by the way, really like these include driving sex, skydiving, mountain biking, whitewater rafting, uh, snowboarding, skiing sports, I guess, swimming, surfing, People die doing certain things because death is not necessarily due to somebody's bad decisions. Death is a consequence of life. Okay. Living is the leading cause of death, but we don't try to stop everybody living. We don't even try to stop those behaviors that we know come with risk because we live in a free and open society. And what has been taken away from these people right now is the freeness and the openness of that society. And so, as I said much earlier, the way this should have been approached was for them to say, here is the potential if we do nothing, please act in a way that benefits your community and yourself in trying to eliminate this disease from our society as fast as possible. And you're going to have to give up some of your freedom to do that. And now when people see that they agreed to that deal because they were concerned to an extraordinary degree about how scary the disease was and its potential for damage. And then they see that the actions that we took are not only preventing that damage we thought, but that the argument that was made to us as to why we should assume the responsibility on our own parts was also flawed. So Jonah Goldberg has a, uh, a great example about this that I think is really illustrative, but I think it misses a point. And um, what he says is if your house is on fire and you call the fire company and they put out the fire, then you don't think afterwards, I didn't need the fire company to come because there's no fire now. That is an entirely sensible and reasonable position, but I think it's wrong because of this, okay? The situation we're in is not like our house is on fire. First of all, it's more like our neighbor's house is on fire and we don't know that it's necessarily on fire because if our neighbor has a much lower tolerance for risk and our neighbor doesn't realize that someone in the other room has left a cigar burning and they see smoke coming out of that room, if they call the fire department and the fire department comes and sprays down the entire house. Then now you've had a house that's completely waterlogged. Your furniture is all probably ruined. And the mistake was made by the person who thought the cigar burning in the ashtray was a risk to the house. Okay. So that's, that's the perspective right there. So these people are not saying that they're not appreciative of the fire department or the fact that the fire department is there. It's not that they don't appreciate the advice of the fire department or the advice of anyone around them who says, Hey, look, the house might be on fire. All those people can be honored and you can still realize that someone overestimated the risk by orders of magnitude and that the response that you took based on that risk was entirely overblown, okay? And so it really does matter. Saying that this isn't the flu for whatever reasons is not the point. The point is that we are accustomed to. Absorbing death from various sources at various rates. And now if the models were wrong as much as they were wrong, in fact, if the models were so wrong that these numbers would have been the same, even if we haven't hadn't mitigated, then what we have done is systematically destroy our society and our economy and people's futures, a generation of wealth, dismantling the world economy making all the priorities you have for poor people or for normal people or for rich people, whatever they are. Uh, by the way, I'm not trying to say poor and rich people aren't normal. Fuck 2020. But we have, again, systematically and intentionally put our economy in a place where public aid to those people is going to be much harder than it ever was. People's ability to conduct their own lives as they were is going to be much harder than it was. People's ability to educate their children, Healthcare for people that are dying of non-COVID needs or non-COVID reasons. All of these things now get pushed to a back burner. And that back burner, everything on that back burner is on the side of the economy that people are belittling as a matter of money, a matter of political priority, or a matter of Donald Trump wanting the stock market to rebound to the point where his election is assured. That is a viciously, stupidly immoral way to conduct the conversation because there are all those things on the back burner. And if, if we were led into soaking our house with a fire hose based on the SIG, the cigar burning in the ashtray, then we have every fucking right to be really, really, really mad at that person that called the fire department because now shit is ruined irreparably because you, uh, overestimated The risk. And again, I am not saying that they did overestimate the risk. I am saying that you don't know, and I don't know, and the people you're calling stupid don't know, and the media doesn't know, and the doctors don't know, the scientists don't know, and the president doesn't know. Okay? The only thing that's gonna prove any of that is how shit works in reality. And if we reopen, if we fully reopen even, and nothing bad happens, you have to understand that the media, uh, our entertainment complex, who, who is just another vocal mouthpiece of the media and of a certain point of view, our theorist class, our political class, are all at their end. And the key now is to understand that if what I am saying is right, then it has much broader implications. Okay, Because this same class of people are the people that got Donald Trump elected. And if you don't want to draw the direct line, here's an indirect one. These people, these theorists, the media, politicians, entertainment, all of this for the last 30 plus years has been dominating society and choosing the directions of our society. So even if they didn't direct uh, directly get Donald Trump elected by their blatant, unethical, dishonest misuse of media and their public voice, then they have created the scenario where a character like Donald Trump could arise to take power. And now, why is that? Okay, it's real easy to say it's about race and class and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's real fucking easy because what we can do to solve that is call everybody else racist. We have no downside for ourselves being wrong. But there's another possibility. And the other possibility is that enough people in this country through their biases or through a clear headed examination of the real world, which is what I'm trying to do and trying to explain to you, and trying to encourage you to do yourself. It means that all those people have understood a basic truth, which is this. They are being led by theorists who have no connection to the real world. Meanwhile, every person at their home knows what they have to deal with during the day. They know what time they have to get to work. They know if they'll get in trouble if they don't get there in time. These people know about their own lives. They know what they need in their own lives. They know what they expect in their own lives. If they have biases, well, that sucks. But you know what? Everyone does. And your biases are no more woke than theirs. Like, if you're the kind of person who doesn't think that white people should have an opportunity to speak in a room, you're every bit as racist as the guy in the MAGA hat with the Confederate flag in the back. All right? And it's time to fucking say that. And it's time to realize it. Because we are quickly coming to the end of an age where that stuff matters. OK, that stuff is entirely based on theory that is entirely based on theory. Social sciences, all these things are theory only. They have they do not have built into them the, the mechanisms that science has because science, when it is proven wrong, is happy to reinvent itself based on its wrongness. Social sciences are not by their nature. And there is no feedback system to tell them if there's if, if it's wrong. If your car brakes don't work, something is broken down in the science. If the car brakes don't work at the car company that is designing that car, you will never know that those car brakes didn't work because they already fixed it because their methods of trial and error are very, very fucking important. And so when they are wrong, they have to fix it. There is not a social scientist or gender studies professor in the world who has to ever, ever objectively reassess their view that should bother all of us when we are allowing public policy to be guided by the things these people say they have no relation to the real world and that is why in this culture we get to hear so much now about people's lived experience as if their personal experience and the way they interpreted situations somehow now makes them an expert and a master The idea that someone who experienced racism in junior high now knows everything about racism and how we should construct our uh, society based on their knowledge is crazy. It's great that that person is happy to communicate their knowledge and put their personal, personal experience into the broader conversation. But there is nothing about that personal experience that lends them expertise. I spoke on the last episode, We Were Never Promised Safety about how my house was broken into when I was a kid and how it traumatized me. There's absolutely nothing about that experience that means I'm qualified by virtue of my having been scared to direct policy when it comes to home invasions. Yet we hold these professors up because they claim the mantle of virtue. They claim that what they're doing, they are doing to help everybody. But that simply isn't true. What they're doing is using the authority of experts and combined with their lived experience, regardless of what is happening in the real world, they are combining those two things to tell you a story and then call you racist or something if you disagree with the story. Now, again, I do not want to sound like I am one of the MAGA people because I'm certainly not. But the thing is, they're not always wrong, and one of the things they're not always wrong about is this, and there is something, whether they uh, are able to articulate it or not, there is something that they understand about the general corruption of society represented by the theorists, and while Donald Trump is not uncorruptible, in fact, he seems like one of the most corrupt people of all time, he is corrupt in an entirely different way than these people are which makes Donald Trump's corruption in some way predictable and understandable because he is absolutely out for his own advancement and his own glory at all times. There is something there is a framework there that people can understand based on their experiences with other people in their lives like that. And the reason they take him at his word is because he is always the one who is making the word. Okay. Donald Trump's not Tons of times he says the last goddamn thing he heard. So I'm not making that point, trust me. And again, we're talking about a man whose intellect I have absolutely no respect for, okay? But there's a big, big difference in that because what he's doing is telling people things that they feel reflect their real-world experience. On the other side, you have theorists who are telling these people certain things about the way life is that do not coincide with their experience at all. So if you have a study and you want to vote, you want everybody to vote for a political candidate because they are champions of erasing the wage gap, for instance, people who have either studied the wage gap or do not see the wage gap or know for themselves that the wage gap does not exist in their community or in their company or in their circumstance, they're now being told that they have to believe something and then they have to vote for a person because a theorist says it's true. And if they don't comply with that, if they don't agree with what the theorist says, then they are racist or sexist or homophobic, or all the isms, right? Or the ics, the phobics, the phobias, all of that. They get subjected to all of that just by their refusal to, to agree with something an expert said, a theorist said that does not comport with their reality at all. And so when we're talking about people who are supposed to be making decisions for themselves, informed or not about voting, right? It's by the way, it's very easy to say that those people in South in the, in the South on the Florida beaches, spring breakers are the dumbest people ever and they should not be allowed to vote. But what about all of you? What gives you the right to vote and they can't because your lived experience is somehow better because you went to a college and studied the words of theorists and memorized them. And now you repeat them as if you have your own moral code, as if you have your own spectrum of knowledge where you've synthesized these things and you've thought about these things really deeply. I'm not anti-elitist and I'm not anti-expert. I'm saying that experts are necessary, but not sufficient. Theory is necessary, but not sufficient. And if someone is telling you, you need to guide your life based on their theory, your response, the response you get every time from anyone with half a soul is going to be fuck you. And so now we play out this scenario through the context of the last few decades of American life, right? And I talked a lot about this on the, we were never promised safety podcast. So I don't want to reiterate all that, but this has been a relatively stable relatively peaceful and relatively prosperous time in American history. The idea becomes that nothing uh, that will happen will ever destroy that. We are finding out quickly that that is wrong. As I said, the prominence of the theorists are part of what brought Donald Trump to office. You can disagree with me if you like. That is my theory. I am a theorist too. Not about everything. Some things I really do. And one of the things I really do is pay attention to this all the fucking time. So my my working theory right now is, and this is a something of a new paradigm, a new framework that I'm trying to think through. So again, I ask your patience, right? But we now have a class of theorists who have, in the last 30 or 40 years, based all of our political economic policy on theory. And it often proves not to be correct. And so what happens... When politicians are incorrect, they prop up bad policy based on theory of how things were going to go, were, were supposed to work. And then it turns out that in the real world, they don't work that way. When do any of these situations actually get the credit for being the thing that is happening in reality? The reality is that regardless of the circumstances, the economy got real fucking good while Donald Trump was president. There are plenty of ways to explain that. We don't need to explain it. The only thing that you need to know is that the economy improved all across the board. People's wages went up. I'm not saying Donald Trump is a master of the economy. I'm saying that there's something about this moment that tells you things about reality that you can deny to your peril. And that is the problem with reliance on knowledge from authority created by theorists. They have never had to go out and practice the knowledge in the world. How do they know? that the things that they're saying and doing are correct. There's no feedback system. All they do is teach it to journalism students who then go out and write it. And then people read it and then they go into college thinking those things. And then the teachers teach them the very same things. And so we are we are now dealing with a class because of our prosperity, an entire class of people who have not had to, and by the way, this is not some populist um, pie end to, to manual labor, although I do respect the hell out of it. But there's an important difference in the guidance we take from, from reality, from feedback in reality, whether or not our behaviors are bringing us to successful conclusions. There are measures by which we can explain these things. We can find measures on both sides to explain whatever viewpoint we want. But the, po- the important point is, is that those answers will always be judged by normal people as effective or not effective and by how much they comport to reality, okay? So if, if the theories that we're hearing from gender studies departments, right? Or ethnic studies departments, or economic departments, or the social sciences, or any of these things, if what we're hearing does not ever at any time touch actual reality, then what we have are just people making things up and then backloading them with information that makes no sense. But we believe it because of the institution that they are connected to, whether it's Harvard, whether it's CNN, whether it's the New York Times, whether it's the presidency, anything, any of these institutions, we have bad actors. And I'm saying, I'm not implying it, it will again, But they are still bad at their jobs and they are bad at their jobs because there is no feedback. There's nothing besides elections that can, that can enforce a downside consequence for these people. And a lot of the times the elections don't even do it because they'll make it about identity, about whether you associate with this party or that party, not about how you think, not about how you process the world, not about how your reality intersects with your life. It only matters about whether or not they can supply a theory convincing to enough people that those people will give up control to them. And so now after decades of this, we are we are at a point where the healthcare system is totally out of whack. And now it's out of whack because of both sides. There's no reason why in this day and age, insurance needs to be tied to your job. In fact, there's no reason why we need insurance at all. People can go pay for health services at normal market costs, and those market costs are quite a bit less than we're paying right now for healthcare in most circumstances. Okay. I use healthcare maybe once or twice a year, maybe I barely go to the doctor. I've never been seriously ill when I have a minor or even, you know, average moderate illness. I will usually just stay home and hope it passes. I don't go get checked up on all that often. You know, I eat fairly well. I run a lot. I'm not that worried about it. But when I do want to go to a doctor, I could easily walk into a walk-in clinic, which of which there are many great ones, and get my uh, medical services performed, any prescriptions that I need, written for about 125 bucks. Now, I do that because it is better than going to the doctors that I could pay my $40 copay, my insurance copay to. So I would rather see those doctors, so I take that extra cost. Now... If I didn't have to worry about a catastrophic problem or a long-term serious illness, I could have saved myself, I don't know, what have I been paying insurance for 15 years? And let's say it's $4,000, 5000 a year. I could have saved myself 60000 $70,000 just by going and taking advantage of medical services when I actually need them. But I'm not given that option, okay? And that's a problem of both sides. But that problem indicates that we have people who are not making decisions with the real world as their guide. They are making decisions with theorists as their guide and theorists don't have to operate on first principles. They don't have to operate on any principles and they certainly never have to explain their principles because their principles get explained retroactively when they, when you disagree with them and then they call you a bad person. And then in any of these non-science fields in the universities, these people become experts the same way kids pass standardized tests, you know, and some of the people who a standardized tests are real geniuses. Some of the people who a standardized tests had their rich parents send them in for a thousand like SAT prep courses so that they could be, uh, so that they could be accepted to a college. They have no business getting into that happens all the time. And then these people do these things and then through nepotism or whatever else, they get jobs and they get jobs at the Daily Beast and they get jobs. at The New York Times, and they get jobs at CNN and then you have journalists, kids becoming journalists in the same place. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I am saying there's something wrong with that. If those people are the ones who are constantly speaking out about uh, what we should do for vulnerable communities and how we should enhance people's job prospects. Right. These people are already operating outside of the meritocracy. And to the extent to which they do not do a good job or an honest job or take their very important job seriously, then what we have is a scenario where people who do not deserve to be in the positions they're in are now telling everyone else about what their own real world is supposed to look like. Again, this is utter insanity. If we as a society are going to pretend that there won't be a backlash against this sort of behavior, this sort of behavior that has become entirely saturated in our culture, it perpetuates itself from generation to generation. And here we are. Here we are with a, a megalomaniac as our president. And it turns out that that megalomaniac is the only person In the entire fucking public conversation, who is willing to bring up the toughest issues for decades, immigration has been made into a fucking farce because both sides you want to use it as a political cudgel. The Democrats now believe that they will be able to win the presidency indefinitely because of the the influx of Hispanic voters. They are literally talking about turning Texas purple based on its Hispanic population. Now, again, this is not this is something that they don't even hide. I'm not trying to expose them and I'm not trying to call them all racist, although that's what believing that you will win presidencies based on the incoming ethnic uh, groups of, of vote of new voters. If you believe that you are a racist or you are taking advantage of racist tendencies in the culture and Donald Trump is not the only one who does this and to pretend that he is by the way is a complete a complete bias and these people these people who who watch and who can see the world in the way that I'm describing it right now they have every reason to be upset about that and it does not make them hateful people. It makes them know that the people that are talking to them and talking down to them are just as bad in every way, if not worse. And so let me try to bring bring all this to some sort of conclusion. I want to I want the point here to be that we are in one of the most difficult times that we have ever faced. And you are not helping yourself or helping the country or helping anything by making it your personal mission to tell everyone else in the country how evil and wrong they are. This is a derangement. The funny thing is people are presenting themselves as possessing a level of concern, which they simply do not possess. Daniel Dennett, this uh, great philosopher, he was talking about the belief in the belief in God that not that people do Did actually believe in God, but they thought it was good to believe in God. So they would express to others that they do believe in God. They would even express to themselves that they believe in God because they thought there was something fundamentally morally good about believing in God and that they were the kind of person who would, who would ascribe to that type of goodness. And so the proof of this, you know, replicating itself on reality is that if people were to believe in God the way they say they believe in God, they would conduct their lives differently. Okay, like if you were going to be a literal fundamentalist about the Bible, then you would be inclined to act in certain ways that no one in modern society acts. It's fine. People should interpret their religion however they like. Right. That's not my point. My point is not that at all. The point is that if you are expressing that you are really concerned, if you are the sort of person who believes it's your righteous moral duty to expose covidiots on social media. If you're the kind of person that instantly gets angry at people on Florida beaches while not inspecting whether or not the people like you are doing it in New York, then what you are doing is not showing that you are very concerned because if you were very concerned, you would be acting differently. You would be pushing for policies even more restrictive than the ones we have now. You would not be calling Postmates. You would not be ordering food from restaurants. On some fundamental level, the fact that you are not doing that betrays the fact that you don't believe it in the first place. And so stop saying it. That, that, that's what I'm talking about with literally everything. Every theorist is giving us reasons so that we can outwardly project ourselves to the world as super informed, super moral, all these things. And we never have to do the goddamn work because we can just trust the theorists because they are quote unquote experts. So there's no apparent downside when I find myself putting out the Jussie Smollett lie online. Half of Hollywood was out there like, I can't believe we live in this world today. It's all Trump's fault. No, that fucker tricked everybody. And you went along with it because you are so goddamn gullible and so convinced that you're right that as soon as the theorists give you reason to say it, you believe it. And here's another one. Half the media and social media the other day was going fucking bonkers over this journalist named Yamiche Alcindor, who works for PBS, because she asked the surgeon general whether or not um, the way he described the uh, personal habits of the black community and how those might present dangers in regards to covid. She basically asked him in real time. A lot of people are saying this is racist. A lot of people, by the way were her fellow theorists in the media and the people inside her Twitter bubble. No one else in the fucking world would ever think that. And you want me to prove it to you? Here's how I'm going to prove it. Last night, uh, Don Lemon, Van Jones, and Charles Barkley were sitting for a conversation together on CNN. Now, Van Jones, who is, I think, probably the person on the left that I respect more than anybody. Like, I really think that that guy knows what's up. And I disagree with him at times, but I think he's real smart and I think he's got his heart in the right place and we can differ about our conclusions, right? But Van Don Lemon, I don't feel that way about at all. Don Lemon, I think, is absolutely the perfect example of everything that is wrong with the theorist class. And Charles Barkley, I think, is a fucking national treasure. He's He's hilarious. He seems like the nicest dude ever and he has provided me with endless entertainment. So we've got these three people and I've now told you what I think of all three of them. And what they did was they were having a conversation about this stuff. And then Charles Barkley decided to share that he had been really paying attention to what his personal habits were, because he was sensing that he was putting himself in danger by living the lifestyle that he was living. And he wanted to communicate that to the rest of the black community. That is absolutely the same message delivered by the black surgeon general, except when the black surgeon general Trump's stooge, right? Because, of course, it's okay to call that black man in a position of power a stooge because he's in Donald Trump's administration, right? And it's okay to say that Dr. Burks, who is an intelligent, successful, competent woman in a position of power, it's okay to say she's wrong when she's not saying the thing that you like. It's okay to say the Surgeon General, the black man himself, is racist. But then when Charles Barkley says the exact same thing. On national television, two of the people in media who care most and who talk most about racial issues and how much they care about their communities. That's not called racist. They go out and tweet it themselves because they believe that Charles Barkley in good faith is trying to help their community. It's the same, same, same substance that was called racist days before. The situation is not sustainable. And again, I am not trying to say that these people are worthy of attack or harm or anything that even comes close to bordering on that. What I want is for them to be disregarded because they are not honest brokers. They are lying to you. And I'm not saying that everything they say is a lie. Again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I actually have full faith in real reporters who are going out into the field. They're going out into war zones. They're taking us. They're taking pictures. They're telling us what it's like there, what it's like for people and why we should be concerned. Those are some of the most important people on earth. But the people that are, are hosting and appearing on CNN talking head shows are among the least important people on earth. And beyond that, this theorist class, these people were the ones who were doing the fear mongering about COVID. Because they were trying to score political points by saying that Trump didn't act quick enough, even though while he was doing small things and he may have been ignoring it on his own and has certainly made statements to that effect, that's fine. But while he was doing those things, they were busy covering wall to wall an impeachment proceeding that was 100% certain to fail and that very likely should not have been brought in the first place. And why was it brought? Why was it brought? Because Nancy Pelosi was forced to bend to the will of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who don't know a goddamn thing about anything because the people on social media were so deranged about Donald Trump that they convinced these utter useless theorist politicians that their point of view was so justified that they could bend the United States constitution to do what they wanted it to do. And now whether or not Trump has violated elements of his oath is a different discussion. And I am fine with that. But on the, the charges that they brought up, those charges were all the result of a Russia investigation that they were wrong about the whole time. And that is a real thing that you have to contend with. If you're just going to say that's wrong or no, I still believe it because of this and this, or well, you know, Trump's still bad anyway. It's like, no, I'm not saying any of those things. All I'm saying is that what they've told you for five years was wrong. And that if you're not disregarding their opinion now, even though you can see again and again and again and again and again, that they're doing it for a specific reason and that they're doing it in a specific way and that they do not care about the harm that they create because there is no downside consequence for them, you need to reassess What's going on? And now to bring it directly to COVID, and this is what I'm talking about, right? Remember the thing about calling the fire company because the cigarette, uh, the cigar ash was burning in the other room? What I'm saying is that this media and these people discussing these things, these people relying on theorists, these people who, are, who seemingly have no interest in the real world and, ha- and how it operates, they are the ones that convince the country to lock down. Okay, I doubt maybe I'm wrong. I doubt Trump was uh, going to do that on his own, but he got pushed into it or maybe he decided to do it. I don't care. But if he got pushed into it and if all of these people were wrong and we come out of this thing and there aren't a bunch of people who die, then we need to understand that this media pushed us into a state of semi-permanent systematic dysfunction based on their inability to assess risk, their inability to navigate difficult moral territory, and their pure hatred for the other side and how much they wanted to see the other side lose. I don't know how any of these theorists talk about enacting violence or enacting harm when it comes to speech and language, right? But this situation actually draws me pretty close because if they are wrong, If they are wrong and we shut down and we took this, we took this upon ourselves in an unjustified manner, then we have destroyed people's lives on a scale that is unimaginable. And we did so willingly because we, we delegated our moral authority, our moral thought, our intellectual thought, our reasoning to theorists who told us how shit was going to be and how we we're supposed to act in the world in a way that made us look responsible, a way that, res- that absolved us of any potential guilt. Because what are they going to say? What are they going to say if and when they're wrong? If and when they're wrong, they're going to say that their errors were due to an abundance of caution and that all they cared about was saving American people's lives. And so let's say Trump opens up and the country is largely unscathed, but there is one hot spot. And in that hot spot, a thousand people die. What the Democrats are going to do this year, and this is going to sound like some conspiracy part, I'm only saying this to make a prediction because I think that this is an insight into the system that I would like to share with you. If I turn out to be wrong, I will 100% say I turned out to be wrong, okay? And then, again, disregard me, disregard my word, disregard my point of view. I am totally comfortable with that, but I have a feeling that at some point this year, There will be on the news a story of someone who is made to be the icon of all the victims of reopening too early, and that person will be on the news night and day, and their story will be widely told. They'll end up with a book contract, and they will also end up on the stage, whatever sort of stage we end up having for the Democratic National Committee. That person will be there to talk about how Donald Trump's irresponsibility in opening after this lockdown directly killed their family. And so what I am suggesting is if this comes to pass and I was able to predict for the exact reasons, the exact political move they would make to cause the same reaction of anger and fear among the people that they're talking to, then you should see that this system is not hard to understand, okay? It's extremely complex, but if you understand base motivations, I think that this becomes much more easy to understand. What I am trying to do is get people to think in a way that forces the people they believe into being right. And if they are not right, you need to stop believing them just based on their credentials. And that's where I'm coming from on all of this. Because there is a chance that they overestimated the harm. That all of the models overestimated the harm. There's a chance that we can go back and be in restaurants and be in stadiums. And if we're, doing proper mitigation, if we are refusing to take our hands and touch our eyes, if we are wearing masks, if we are washing our hands, if we are making sure not to talk in somebody else's unprotected face, if we're doing those sorts of things, then we are mitigating risk to an extent that society should be absolutely possible to be run under. And so if we lock this entire society down only to save a a healthcare system, for instance, that may have been able to uh, cope with the crisis or not, if we did this to to save the healthcare system, then the calculation for the American voter who is not sick, not threatened by the illness, not likely to become sick. If we have taken away their financial future because we were scared based on our absolute uh, unflagging faith in the good of experts and theorists as the experts and theorists present their opinions to us, then we have made a magnificent moral error. And that moral error was propped up by these very people. And now the entire justification for their institutions existing in the first place may well vanish before our eyes. And if it doesn't, then don't worry because Trump won't be reelected. Okay. So that's where I'm coming from. And if any of you decided to bear with me for this long, I appreciate your, uh, your confidence in my thought process and your patience. Um, if you want to hate me after this, I don't think I said anything hateworthy, but if you found something, then by all means. Um, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to address them to me. I'm more than happy to keep this dialogue going. I don't think that my word is the final word. I don't think that my opinion is going to stay the same from day to day. It doesn't. But I think that this media thing is, and this theorist thing, is much, much, much bigger than we're giving it credit for and i think that the if we can understand what this thing means then we're going to be able to better understand the other people who are living their lives differently than ours and you know there really are bigots and racists in the world there really are absolutely horrible social justice warriors who just want to inflict hate on other people because they're unhappy people themselves but there's also everybody else in the middle and those people, despite their flaws, despite their lack of information where you may have some, I'm certain that none of you could tell any of those guys who you call ignorant how to dismantle and put back together a tractor. And if you can't do that, then you should understand that that person is is vastly more informed than you are about something that is critical to their life, whereas you're minorly informed about something that doesn't touch your life at all because you're not even Looking at an issue that affects you, and then you're accepting opinions of other people, and then you're making moral judgments on strangers. And that's really, really, really terrible. So, no, I have no patience for racism and bigotry. I support every fucking cause I can, you know, but I'm gonna support them honestly. If I feel like my support for their cause is justified and they're honest. Okay, I'm not going to be led by my nose into it because other theorists have the ability to call me a bad name, and I don't want you guys to do that either, man. And the last thing I want to mention is the WHO and China's role in this thing, and I want to do that in the context of the Global Citizen concert that happened last night. You know, all these um, major American pop stars and old rock stars and stuff. They some of some of whom I actually really love. I didn't watch because that shit is incredibly boring. But they did this big thing to raise money for the WHO and other causes. Now, initially, it was only for the WHO. It wasn't for other causes. But the WHO has a big problem. And the big problem that the WHO has is that it's under the influence of the Chinese government and that the WHO intentionally misled the world about the threat that this virus posed to the world. And so we have a media that's complicit in this. They are defending China at every turn. They are defending the Chinese information, the statistics that were used to construct the models that have led our society into the point of lockdown. All right. And they are still defending these organizations. Trump uh, said he was pulling the funding from the WHO and they went ballistic because they found an opportunity to say that Trump wasn't caring about people who are doing the important medical work for disadvantaged communities around the world. Right. So every argument has to come back to them having a victim class so that they can convince you that if you disagree with what they're saying, then you don't care about those people. No. That is intellectually vacant, and it's morally abominable. The WHO participated, willingly, actively participated in what has made this pandemic so dangerous to so many people. They lied and obfuscated. That is not an organization that Americans should be raising money for. It is certainly not an organization that our entertainment class should be actively supporting out of the goodness of their hearts so that we can all have a moment of unity. You know what our moment of unity is going to be? When we can go back out and see our friends and have a beer with the people we like and go to the movie theater and watch sports. We can unify around those things. In fact, we always have. But instead, we're told that we need to unify around funding the very organization that caused the fucking problem in the first place if the WHO has any role at all, it's to mitigate disasters like this one. And instead of doing that, they did the opposite. And so the, the the idea that we are then supposed to just suck it up and be okay and let the theorists tell us why the WHO is a good organization, even though all of us in our most basic instincts can see that what we are being fed is utter distruth and morally debased dishonesty, but we don't stop believing it. And we're posting fucking pictures on social media of these pop stars as they perform for this organization. And we support these pop stars and we support all their social causes, no matter how little they know about them. And trust me, I know these people, they don't know shit. There are some that are very informed and care a whole hell of a lot and they care about informing themselves. The rest do not know a goddamn thing and they just want to look good to you because that's their fucking job. They literally get paid based on how much you like them. That's a fucking problem. It is unsustainable. We cannot continue to to navigate our world this way. And so what I hope after all of this is that this stuff changes, man, because this is making you hate other people when you don't need to. Like we all think of ourselves as loving, caring people who just want good things for the world and for each other, or at least we pretend to be that on social media, but we don't do any of the things required of us to participate intelligently and actively and forcefully and effectively in our society. Why? Because they're depending on us to be too lazy and to not have the time. So they take our role of thinking and our role of moral judgment and they remove it and they replace it with theirs because their theorists and their experts are so unassailably right all the time that if you choose to disagree with them, then you are dumb or you don't care or you hate people. That is a disgusting way to interact with our world. And so, guys, I, 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 if you stuck with me this long, thank you. Obviously, you can tell I'm still working some of this out in my own mind. So I hope this was fairly coherent and cohesive, and I hope that I've increased some understanding on some level. If I haven't, I guess I just wasted the afternoon. Oh, well. But I will talk to you guys soon. I will be talking more about the theorists because I want to stick to this topic for a little while. Uh, so I hope you'll bear with me, and I hope that it in some way enlightens you and that I don't sound like a raving lunatic. All right. So I will talk to you next time. Be well, and I hope you're all healthy and uh, keeping your mental stability because there is much more work to be done. All right. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So this is part two of my discussion on reopening the economy and on what I'm now calling the theorists. Uh, So our jump off point here, the end point of the last episode is a discussion about how politicians um, bend to the will of social media. Here we go. So what I'm getting at is the fact that politicians are genuinely influenced by what they are seeing online and the bubbles in which they operate, what those bubbles are telling them. Okay. I just gave you a direct example of that. If you don't want to accept that direct example, that's fine. You can disagree with me. I think that that is conclusive proof. And I think that if you pay attention to the discussion online, you will see that this is something that is this is a phenomenon that occurs again and again. In fact, the people on social media themselves take credit for when these politicians change their minds about things. And by the way, it's fine. If politicians are responding to their constituencies, but this is again, a problem with nationalizing a political conversation because their constituencies are not everyone on Twitter. Their constituencies are the people whom they are elected to represent. Bernie Sanders does not. Well, I mean, in his role as state senator, at least does not need to be responding to, um, California's views on gun control. He's responsible for responding to Vermont's views on gun control because Vermont is a rural state where people hunt known guns. All right. And so now Bernie has decided. This is just another of his a million inconsistencies. But Bernie has decided for political expedience, not for his lifelong held beliefs on on guns. He's decided for political expedience to go along with the California line on gun control, the Twitter line on gun control. And now he is no longer representing his people. But that was worth it because he was trying to represent the nation. Right. Again, this is a problem in politics generally. And maybe there's no solution for it when you move from local to state and state to National, Of course, you have to compromise positions of the smaller constituency for the bigger constituency. This is like moving from just guiding your own family to becoming a school board president or a city councilman or something like that, or councilwoman, I mean. So if we can both agree that these politicians are, to some extent, guided by the public voice of social media, then it really, really does matter in a material way how those politicians are interacting with social media, and also what the inputs are, okay? Because what we have now is a social media informing politicians and a media that is informing social media on – the issues of the day based on political motivations. Okay. So if, if you're being presented this, the story, the con, the national conversation, you know, the, um, the bigger picture, like the abstract picture of what's going on, right? If the way that you're receiving that picture is through the media and through social media, then what we have is a media telling everybody what they're supposed to think. Then people who have not studied the issues and not um, had much concern about any of it making specific policy suggestions and policy points and guiding the national conversation in a way that really does influence political positions by our politicians and so that means that we have the traditional dumbasses on social media in some legitimate way making decisions at the highest levels okay and when those people's when those people's political moves are, are motivated by those small positions in the interest of them retaining power in re, in the form of reelection or gaining power in the, in the form of election to a higher office, we are presenting ourselves with a real danger and the amount that we participate in it and the amount to which we are free to advertise our ignorance in certain ways and by certain ways, I don't only mean specific ways. I mean, in ways that exude certainty where there is none, then we are causing the danger for ourselves. Now, if I can, let's circle back to the Florida beaches, okay? So in the context of of the conversation with these guys on this group text yesterday, I said, does it matter to you at all that I can show you this picture from today in Central Park that shows just as many New Yorkers gathered in the same amount of space, doing the same activities with the same blasé attitude about what they're doing? Does that matter? Because if it doesn't matter to you, then you are a hypocrite. And if it matters to you, but you are okay with a media who only shows you the dummies on the beach in Florida and doesn't inform you of the dummies in central park or the dummies that went out to take pictures of the USS comfort when it docked in, in Manhattan, you, you are making a profound moral error and that you then go forth and judge people based on this error and this piece of misinformation or disinformation or ignorance. If you are using that to judge other people, then you are a morally bad person on this count. And It's not like you are eternally morally bad because you made a mistake on one of these things. I've made plenty of mistakes. On political issues, on my, on, on overestimating my depth of knowledge on a subject. All of these things are fine. And by the way, if there are people out there that are experts in any one of these subjects that I bring up and you would like to come on and uh, counterpoint them for me, I am more than happy to have you come increase my education and understanding of the situation because the last thing I want to be doing is disseminating false information because that is exactly what I'm concerned is happening and what I'm trying to prevent in some way. Okay. But so we are presented with a view where the South is full of spring break hedonists and dummies who are breaking, quote unquote, breaking social distancing and uh, potentially killing grandmother. Right. But we're not given the pictures of the people in Central Park and we're not given the pictures of people in front of the USS Comfort. And you know where else we're not getting pictures? The fucking subways that are still open right now. Okay? And. The public tra- there's public transportation in L.A., but it's a much smaller issue. But to think that the subway system in New York, the density of which the, by which they're packed and uh, the weather there have absolutely nothing to do with the spread of this virus, even though the experts say that all of those things can or are factors in the spread of hot spots, the uh, transmissibility of these things and the uh, are not. And we can talk about are not in a second. But to think that those subways are not a bigger danger than that beach. There is absolutely no rational way to hold that viewpoint. Okay. And if you are ignorant of the fact that the subways are still open and that people are still on them, if you are ignorant of the fact that people went out to stand outside the USS Comfort, and if you are ignorant of the fact that people are exercising in Central Park every day, then you have absolutely no place to tell people in Florida that they are idiots and then use their idiocy as as a retroactive backup to your moral point of view that you had, by the way, due to your own biases and not from information at all. So the response, of course, is, well, the subways are absolutely necessary and they are absolutely necessary to get the healthcare workers to and from their jobs. Obviously, totally agree, would never say otherwise, would never argue otherwise, would never slight that view in the least. But Again, if our number one priority is to prevent transmission, sickness, and death, if that is our number one goal, then having the subways open so that those people can transport themselves to and from the city is dangerous. And here's why. It's not hard at all to believe that New York could simply shut down the subways. And there is no reason that those people should have to then have a more difficult or expensive way of getting to work. But. It cannot possibly cost that much money to set up city buses specialized for bringing these people to work and no one else and them being the only ones allowed to go on and get to the hospitals. Uh, the city could foot their taxi bills, okay, or whatever other transportation method they end up needing to use. There are solutions is my point. And I'm not saying one of those is the right solution. And I could be ignorant on the traffic situation, although I have lived in New York. It was many years ago. I have some understanding of the transportation system in the city. But what I'm saying is if beyond everything else, our goal is to make sure no one else gets sick, then we are stopping short of that on many different bases, right? Postmates still working, which I just talked about the subway being open to whatever extent it is. These things are not the most extreme measures that we could be taking. And they're not even the most extreme measures that we could be taking within the context of how much money would be spent. Because the city could certainly foot the bill for those things if it's footing the bill for every other cost of how um, society is being uh, systematically dismantled and shut down right now. Right. So the, it, it's not the finances. It is uh, that the the judgment was made that the marginal risk that increases by keeping the subway open for those people getting to and from work is is uh, is acceptable in the framework of the trade-off between what we can realistically do, financially and societally, versus how we best save lives, okay? So my point here is, that while you think you may have the position of moral purity that allows you to say everyone should stay home no matter what, there are already people, your public representatives included, and by the way, you unconsciously included, who are making that calculation every day, all right? And they're probably doing it with things like actuarial tables, which are how the insurance company measures risk when deciding who to insure and for how much, okay? They have an idea of when a person is likely to die based on an incredible amount of data into the system and then based on what that person's personal habits are and personal circumstances are, okay? This happens all the time. I've talked about um, maybe on the old podcast, but I have a friend who is a, uh, who is a data and modeling guy who builds out marketing plans for uh, all sorts of different companies and organizations. All right. And they have modeled based on people's phone records, their spending habits, the locations they go, et cetera, they can know with like a 95 plus degree of certainty Who is going to get divorced in the next year? Okay, consider that. They know before you do whether or not you're going to get divorced with a high degree of certainty. Now, that says something about free will, which which we don't need to get into. But it also says that there are people whose depth of their information that they have access to are operating at a level that you cannot currently conceive of with the information level that you are receiving. And I admit, I am in the same boat. They could track who's going where if they needed to. They can set up a system that is going to be better than the one that they have now. But they have determined that the risk mitigation and the convenience balance is in uh, some sort of equilibrium, right? The trade off is at its best point. And now let me, let me mention this briefly. There's only one right answer for how our public officials can respond to this crisis, right? And it's to find the exact right point where we did the best that we could in mitigating and now we are running the risk of far greater harm by staying closed. And so opening exactly at that point is um the only the only right choice in this situation. If you open too early, more people will die and uh there is a chance of broader widespread disease, illness and death. If you open too late, then you have overestimated your risk and you have taken steps that were too drastic to achieve the main goal, okay? And now the important thing to realize here is that people can have differing opinions on what that balance is, but it doesn't preclude that balance from existing. And the thing is the administration and governors and mayors They actually have to consider this balance, okay? The media does not. Again, there is no downside risk for them being wrong. In fact, there has never been a downside risk for them being wrong because they are the media, all right? And now, again, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that in some great capacity they are manipulating everything that – we do like as if there's just some higher up there that is this commanding everything like some masterful orchestra. Okay. I think that people are generally operating in what they see to be their own interests and that's fine. That's what people do. That's what everyone does. That's why we vote for who we vote for. That's why we marry who we marry date, who we date. It's why we keep the friends that we have. We make these judgments for ourselves and I'm, I'm talking about the media now obviously, So I'm not trying to impute some terrible dark motive or some overwhelming ability to bend the world to their will. The truth is that they are making shit tons of money ever since Donald Trump came into the national political picture. And there's a reason for that. But no ill motive is required. Just the simple realization that these people are perpetuating their value and existence just like anyone else would right like the the journalists at these media outlets probably started at smaller media outlets but they move to the corporate media outlet where they now write articles about how bad corporations are and how everyone is only serving the interests of business as if businesses don't employ everybody Except for the people who start their own, by the way. And that's another thing. You, you can't lump in massive multinational corporations with... People's small businesses like their little restaurant or coffee shop or small bookstore or or bike repair shop, you know, like there's nothing in common. They're landscaping business with big corporations. But if they employ enough people or if they're registered as small businesses, now all of a sudden they are they are also evil businesses, which makes no fucking sense. It's not about uh, thinking all these people are morally evil, but these people are also now the same ones on Twitter who are. Um, openly mourning the losses of the small local papers that are going under, the other media outlets that are having to fire their staffs because their advertising has dropped to zero. Advertising, by the way, a part of the economy. Advertisements exist so that you spend your money on the things being advertised. And most of the content that we consume exists entirely to support a platform capable of its own monetization through those ads or subscriptions. Again, nothing wrong with the business model. It's just important to understand what the business model is. So these reporters are are sad about, about people on the lower rungs of their industry now falling into financial chaos, career chaos, everything else, right? And this is probably true in any industry. I mean, I haven't followed I, – I don't make a habit of following – like actors and celebrities who I don't know online, but I can imagine there are people out there who are trying to help those in their industry who are taking it harder than they are by virtue of their relative success, right? Or success, however they define it, if if we're talking in material terms. Now, it is very hard to watch a people who support a corporation that is, at its essence, designed to extract money from the public by telling them stories they find interesting, but presenting them as the way the world really is. That's extraordinarily dangerous if we take their word for it all the time. And again, I'm not saying the media lies to you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that this should all be judged in the context of its own truth value, right? And nobody has time to do all of that, okay? But what you do have time to do is read everything skeptically and just think, well, okay, is this just reconfirming my view about everything? Is this making me think? Is the writer who is presenting this opinion to me, are they presenting it in a way that justifies their conclusion? Okay, and now just to take another Tangent. Sorry, a friend of mine was texting me yesterday because she was upset by the way she was treated within a um a Zoom room. She had made a uh, very innocuous joke, but she was in one of those rooms where the people in the room were the the woke social justice warrior types, the like the rich white chicks in Los Angeles who survive on the goodwill of their fathers and they eat free dinners on purpose by finding guys who will take them to dinner right and by the way if you think that i'm making some misogynist claim about shit just understand this is how los angeles really is and there are a handful of people in this city who know this part of the culture better than i do okay a handful now she was offended because these people, or she was hurt actually, because these people decided to use her innocuous jokes and some things that she said to call her out, to tell her that it was unconscionable that she would say the thing that she said, and that she has some real deep soul searching about what would make her say something like that. And I told her, you should stop being friends with those people immediately because their, their sense of morality is completely wrong. They have convinced themselves that they are helping the less fortunate, right? Or the vulnerable or, or minority communities by assuming they know what those communities think as if they were monoliths and then representing them at no cost whatsoever to themselves. And they do that to someone who's supposed to be their friend and they do it to make that person feel terrible, excoriating them and then pushing them out of a group. I was like, you don't understand. You need to kick them out of your group. You're not getting kicked out of their group. You need to kick them out of your group because those people are, they have no morality. Because communities, quote unquote, in the euphemistic way it's used now, are not monolithic. They have different opinions. You cannot pretend to speak for a community, okay? You speak for yourself. And if you can justify it on your own terms, wonderful. If you can't, stop. The funny thing about these social justice arguments and the reason why they are continually pursued by a certain class of person is because they are fundamentally lazy and intellectually vacant, which makes it so that they can rehash the same argument no matter what the situation is. So Barry Weiss saying immigrants really get things done but not realizing that the figure skater was the uh, child of immigrants and not an immigrant herself now makes Barry Weiss a racist. And any response to them like, hey, no, she's not is met with the exact same framing of the argument every time. If you give a retort to any social justice argument, the the argument back in your face will always be the same. They will try to figure out which ways you are speaking out of turn and not allowed to represent the point that you're making, regardless of whether people in that community also agree with you. They will try to impugn your character and they're going to call you like whatever they have to until you shut up and take back the harmless thing you said. They are not looking at your motivations, okay? They are strictly judging you based on whether or not the thing you're saying comports ideologically with their beliefs and whether or not you are the race, gender, age, education level, religion, whatever else it is to be the one saying that. So you're not allowed to say something because you're white. You're not allowed to contribute to this conversation because you're a man or a woman or you're black or you're Muslim or anything. Right. Only certain people are allowed to contribute to a conversation based on their race. There is no definition by which that is not racist. Okay. And the definition that they have replaced to fix that problem. Is that if you make that point, you are yourself racist because race is now not whether or not you are judging someone's validity based on their immutable characteristics. It is only whether or not they can describe the position you're taking as being one that comes from a position of power. And not only that, what they're doing is legitimately definitionally bullying you. If you're a person dealing with a situation, you are being bullied. What they are doing and why you shouldn't be friends with them anymore is because they are viciously and maliciously and unrelentingly attacking you and your character for innocuous comments. And they're doing so to win the approval of other people in the group. That is pathetic. That is worse than a high school bully, because these are adults who who are supposed to have left tendencies like these in their past. And not only that, they are adults who claim the moral mantle for the country. We are telling everyone else this is the right way to live. These are people who have accomplished nothing besides potentially going to colleges where these views are studied and reinforced. Their claims are totally unfalsifiable, which means that they are making an argument that has no refutation, which means that they are essentially just saying things. And then they're enforcing cultural assent to what they say by ascribing to anyone who argues with them ill motive racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, everything else. They will say whatever it takes to make sure that your point of view is not represented in the conversation, no matter how informed you are, no matter how good your will is, no matter how good your faith is. That is incredibly destructive. And again, we are talking about people who influence the cultural conversation online, which then influences the cultural conversation had by politicians. And those politicians then eventually make decisions that affect you. And one of them right now We are in a position of the greatest crisis that hopefully those of us, my age and younger will ever see in our lifetimes. And we have the chain of responsibility operating this way. The Democrats held up the relief package, trying to get things installed for Elizabeth Warren, for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, worker protections, environmental protections. And now I'm not here to dispute the good of those policies, but... They have absolutely nothing to do with trying to fix the financial fallout from COVID. They are trying to lump agenda items into this, which on a fundamental level means that they do not take the problem seriously. Yet these are the people who are pretending to be your moral champions. Do you think the quote unquote black community is just waiting around for some dumbass white girl to come save them? Now I mentioned the social justice stuff because I want to talk a little bit more about, about my idea of the theorists, right? The theorist class. These are people who are generally, by and large, I'm not trying to impugn them, all of them, or their entire industries. There are plenty of good people in every industry with every political point of view. I'm more, I have friends who are socialists and we argue about these things. I think that their viewpoint is absolutely morally corrupt, right? well, either that or that they uh, are ignorant to key aspects of the discussion or what I think are key aspects of the discussion. Likewise, religious people think that about me because I'm an atheist, okay? Atheists represent like 15% or 20% non-believers in the last pew thing, but not a single atheist is allowed to admittedly be an atheist and, and still represent American culture. Which Which atheist, which prominent atheist has anyone from mainstream culture heard of? Maybe Sam Harris, maybe Richard Dawkins. What about the other 20%, 15% of atheists out there? None of them are in political office, not openly as atheists. And I'm fine with people assuming certain things about my character uh, related to the fact that I'm atheist. I know that's going to happen. You know, if, if somebody wants to have a conversation with me about my atheism, I'm more than happy to talk about it. I also believe that there are uses for religion and culture, and I'll get to some of that later. But the important point right now is I don't like having my own Character impugned just by my my relation to a conceived collectivist class of people, right? Like I'm not the same as other atheists, and I don't believe all the people in the media are the same. I don't believe all the people in government are the same. Blah blah blah. I, I hate that I have to kind of preface all these statements with those caveats, but that's the culture we live in now. Actually, this is the perfect time to bring this up. I said I was going to talk about it later. I'll talk about it right now. We understand broadly that the culture is less religious than it ever was, which I have spent my life thinking will be a good thing. And I think that eventually it will, but there is a trade off when you abandon a fundamental guiding common morality in some sense. Okay. And the way we prove things now to each other in the moral realm is no longer by referring to scripture, for instance, and unfortunately, it's no longer by having a, a sound moral argument that we can construct on our own based on our understanding of of values and human worth and human liberty and autonomy. I don't think most people are equipped on an intellectual level to have that conversation. And I'm not saying that because I think that moral philosophy is impossible for people to learn. But some people's brains don't, don't operate that way. Like it takes a certain kind of intellectual compass to want to engage both sides, to want to consider extreme examples, to be willing to move in to offensive and dangerous conversations, to be able to try to find what the operating principles are, what leads our intuitions and, and how those intuitions then influence behavior. These are complex things and they used to not be because on a base level, people would decide these things with some mix of their own prior motivations and ambitions, and then in whatever context they could rationalize, uh, vis-a-vis the Bible, right? Now we don't have the Bible, alright? So, or at least, you know, the, the secular culture doesn't, and those of us who are non-believers don't, right? Um, but the culture at large, the separation of uh, government and um, religion is an important separation for the function of government. But it means that we have to construct another framework by which we're going to assess moral values. OK, and there is the kind of democratic populist method of doing that, which is saying the thing that's right is the one that most people agree with. Now, that's simply not true and it's not true on its face if you understand moral philosophy. You can be the only one who's moral, morally correct uh, in a group of a million people and you could still be the morally correct one. There is nothing about There is nothing about the weight of public opinion that can validate a wrong answer in a certain moral circumstance. It has to be judged on principles that are more basic than agreement because agreement can be manipulated and shifted. And that is one of the main problems. So that in mind, how do we settle our disagreements now? Okay. The common approach is to refer to what we suppose to be authoritative sources, whether they're doctors or scientists or whoever our motivation now is to refer to experts that may or may not be right. And the problem with doing this is that even on the most serious issues experts and scientists disagree in good faith for good reasons okay the entire process of scientific knowledge is taking what we believe to be a state of the world presenting a theory about why that's the state of the world and then testing it and testing it and testing it and testing it and once we have tested it enough that that theory becomes constantly predictive of reality, then we accept the theory as true. And we do that only until a better theory comes along and replaces it. So the system of science itself depends on parts of science being wrong. And it is totally okay to admit that every scientist in the world admits that. That's how they learn and discover new things because somebody had the courage or the, uh, you know, foresight or the special vision handed down from on high that what they were being told is wrong and they tried to disprove it and they ended up proving it in another way. Okay. And scientists do that constantly and they especially do it in a situation that is not only this dire, but this complicated. So if you can find a theorist that says something and I can find a theorist that says the opposite thing, then we revert to credentialism, which is saying, well, my source was a Harvard professor, whereas your source is a doctor in Minnesota who's been treating patients with hydroxychloroquine. But you see, my source says that that doctor is wrong. And not only does my source say that that doctor's wrong, I know for a fact it's wrong because Trump's saying it. And Trump has motivations that are antithetical to what my motivations are. And he proves that based on how much I disagree with him. And I know how much I disagree with him based on the picture that is painted for me of what he believes while I compare that to what I believe filtered through the motivations of your particular friend group, peer group, or society. Do you know how difficult it is for someone in Hollywood to even make the argument I'm making right now? Okay. And I am trying to be as absolutely careful as I can at every point in this conversation, which is why it's taking me so fucking long, to be fair to what the opposition believes and to represent them in their beliefs. But that is not a common thing. And now in that situation, the doctor who is practicing in real time with real incentive to save lives and not make a mistake is thereby disregarded in favor of a theorist at Harvard who says that what the doctor is experiencing in real life cannot be true. Now, the standards of truth in medicine are very, 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 very important. Obviously, it's literally life or death. That's why we have so many roadblocks set up to make sure that drugs don't go out to market too fast, etc. The problem with those roadblocks is that they are roadblocks and that they are stopping bad stuff, but occasionally they stop good stuff, too. Okay. And the reason that they are so inclined to stop good stuff, too, is because if they get it wrong, the lawsuits against them could be crippling they have incentives not to be wrong the media the theorists that person at harvard is not going to have their harvard credentials removed because they are wrong about this situation right and i'm just assuming that they're wrong this has nothing to do with whether or not they actually are wrong in this situation okay i'm trying to place truth values on what's being said and then reach an intuition about why we're believing one over the other right so we have confirmed for ourselves, and it is constantly reaffirmed by the media, that we should be reliant on whatever they say so long as they can find an expert to say it. That is an extraordinarily dangerous place to be unless they are presenting experts on both sides, which was the point 15 years ago when they started having these these talk shows in media where they would have one person argue one side, one person, the argue the other side. Now what they do is they create a panel of nine people where eight of them are saying one thing, and then they get a bad example of the argument from the other side and put that person in with the eight people so that anybody watching can see, you know, this and that TV talking head slam down the person with the dissenting opinion. What they are doing is coaching us to, remove dissenting opinions from our lives. This is every bit as dogmatic as the most fundamental fundamentalist religions. And it's every bit as dangerous. Dissenting opinion is a crucial, crucial part of any argument, especially one this complicated that involves economics, morality, and science and how those things interplay. Because the truth is that Dr. Fauci does not have the same responsibility that Donald Trump has. Dr. Fauci's responsibility is to be a good doctor following the Hippocratic oath. First, do no harm, right? So everything that he does and says and views is looked through, through that prism. That prism does not take into account and should not take into account the moral trade-offs in society of what decisions might be made as a result of their observations. So in this circumstance, Dr. Fauci has a real incentive to be in opposition to reopening, a genuine, real, justified incentive to be opposed to reopening because his only priority is saving lives, as it should be. He's a doctor. Wonderful, right? Great. Trump's position, and any president, by the way, in this position, their responsibility is to... Be in opposition to Dr. Fauci because they are going to have to for the sake of the economy and society and other people's freedom and right to live and right to uh, self-determination that has to be enacted before we get to the point of, for instance, having a vaccine for everybody and in developing herd immunity through vaccine, which could be anywhere from three months to six months to 12 months to 18 months. The decision has to be made before that. So. We have to, we have to be in a balance of those two things. Now, Dr. Fauci and Deborah Burks got on stage with Trump as he announced the, the reopen plan, and they both explained it, not only there, but in other media sources afterwards. They both think that the plan is prudent. In fact, every report is that Trump has listened to them and listened to all the experts in formulating this plan. People are calling it an entirely reasonable plan. Okay. And there are others who are saying it's, it's crazy and terrible. And he's putting everybody's lives on line. Now, what they are doing is, ta- is attaching and probably it's right, but the way they're doing it is a little, uh, a little offensive to me. But what they're doing is attaching the morality of a death count onto whatever decision Trump makes. Okay. So they are going to say at every point, no matter how long it takes for him to open that he was wrong. And it's very, very easy to do that. Again, they have no skin in the game, as Nassim Nicholas Taleb calls it. There's nothing bad that can happen to them by being wrong. They will restate their rightness. They will refill the story and backfill the story. Um, In television, they call that retconning. Um, they They will change the story after it happens so that they can remain right. And they will find experts who will agree with them and say they agree with them so that they can remain right then we are expected to believe whatever they say. And not only that, we're expected to believe by virtue of the status of the media as an institution and the important role that they're supposed to fill in society, that they are automatically then actually filling that role and that we should be believing them. And it doesn't matter how many times they prove that they don't care about that role on an ethical level. And it doesn't matter how many times they were wrong. Okay, the best experts in the world, like, for instance, Nate Silver, right? Nate Silver is one of the best people out there in the world of political polling. He got the national vote numbers really pretty right on within the range, you know, within the plausibility range of how things broke down nationwide between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. But he missed in the important states. And that miss, by the way, was taken into account by his model. And so. Even with the, the Clinton Trump thing, he still gave the probability for Clinton to be winning a uh, 75% chance. And it was like a 25% chance for Trump. It was in that range. Just you can take my word for it. You can look it up if you want to quibble about a few percentage points here and there. That's up to you. So a one in four chance that Donald Trump would be, become president. That is not a good probability. That's not a probability that should lead you to absolute certainty. Okay. Russian roulette is one out of six, right? One one out of four is bigger than that. I don't think people want to play that game. But nonetheless, the media and, and the theorist class did. Almost no one lended any credence to the fact that Donald Trump might win or that he might win with the help of a media who was entirely reliant on the theorist class to tell everybody what would happen. And every one of them was wrong. And I shared their opinion. More like I believe their opinion. I addressed this in the first episode of the podcast overall. But I believe their opinion and I went along with them. And so after that, I began to reassess why I believed what I believe. But people haven't done that. And people are still reliant on the same media that told us Donald Trump wouldn't win that told us that Russia had definitely made Donald Trump win, that Michael Avenatti was a paragon of moral virtue who was representing this this used and abused woman, Stormy Daniels, against this monster tyrant, Donald Trump. Okay, now Donald Trump's a scumbag. That's irrelevant to what we're talking about. Michael Avenatti was held up as an honest broker. Someone who was going to tell us the truth about the situation. And now not only did he bring out Stormy Daniels, which was true, he also brought up other cases, uh, even up right up to the the Brett Kavanaugh hearings that weren't true. And now he's in jail. Okay, not for that. But that is an actual bad person that we were being led to believe was an expert by these media sources because he was saying the thing that they wanted him to say. Anderson Cooper would interview him every night. Then Don Lemon would interview him. Then Chris Cuomo would interview him or whatever order those things happen in. He'll be on TV from the moment you got up to the moment you went to sleep. His day was full with a media schedule and he was wrong. And not only was he wrong, he was intentionally distorting the situation for his own personal benefit. There were big parts of the country and the democratic party who were saying, Michael Avenatti for president. This is exactly the kind of guy we need to take down Donald Trump. And what's worse now is that we have created an entirely new class of experts in our humanities departments at colleges. You can want to study gender theory and be a gender studies major. You can want to study critical race theory and be a, an ethnic studies major, right? You can do those things. Colleges provide those classes. People who are interested in those courses can go take them. But the problem is, is that those theories are entirely based on theory, okay? And those theories have a motivation. So when they re- refer to expert studies, the studies by the experts are the studies they're doing, Okay, and they have a motivation to rely only on the information that helps prove prove their cases, which is why they are so often wrong because they are building theory based only on theory and not about whether or not it bears any resemblance to reality. And so we get things like presidential candidates saying that the gender wage gap is seventy nine cents the dollar, right that women make seventy nine cents for every dollar a man makes while doing the same work with the same hours, the same education, blah, blah, blah. That is absolutely not what any economist who has studied the issue believes. There is no gender wage gap, okay? There might be some that's due to sexism. The gender wage gap they're referring to doesn't take into account education or hours at work or job choice and a slew of other totally relevant aspects of what creates the value of a job. And the value of a job is based on what people will pay to get your good or service and then how you might be helping the company make money off the good or service. That's how pay gets formulated. And anybody who's ever run a small business knows that. But we're told that the that this difference is entirely due to men mistreating women in society and paying them less for the same work, something that is against the law something that major companies could be legally liable for, and many have been in the past. And I am not saying that anecdotally the thing doesn't happen. What I am saying is that you have an expert class, a political class, and a media class, the theorists, who are telling you something they know not to be true to advance their political narrative but we have to listen to certain experts, right? So in this circumstance, because it's a, a medical issue, we have to listen to doctors and epidemiologists and we absolutely should. But not all doctors and epidemiologists agree with one another. And so what we have then is a an institution on the right that is supporting itself with experts who will say that this or that is right apart from what we know about the real world. And on the left, they... We'll say that Trump's actions are wrong, regardless of what we know about the real world. And you can find this within the scientific communities. There is disagreement there. There is always disagreement there. And that's fine. It's good. But we are being told that we have to believe one thing, and that's listen to the experts. Listen to the experts. I mean, what could be a more vacuous platitude than telling people to listen to the experts? Okay, because the experts don't agree. And now there are plenty of things the experts do agree on, and I'm trying to follow all of those. And the way I try to find all of those is to try to embrace every varying point of view and see what supports it, okay? And if you're telling me what supports it is that the guy's a Republican, he works with Donald Trump, Donald Trump is in opposition to Fauci or whatever, and so that's why we have to believe Fauci. And by the way, I think we should believe Fauci. His credentials and his work speak for itself. But that doesn't mean that we have to believe uh, Neil Ferguson, who made the model in Britain, and that model was the, the impetus for all of the international lockdowns. It turns out that model was wrong, and it turns out the man who made that model has been wrong about these things before. So this is the New York Times from March 17th discussing the Imperial College model and Neil Ferguson. They have a quote in the article that says, A lot of it is not what they say, but who says it, says Devi Sridhar, director of the Global Health Governance Program at Edinburgh University. Neil Ferguson has a huge amount of influence. Okay. So, again, right there, he is saying that governments are trusting this authority. Okay. Totally fine. He's an expert, and Imperial College is an excellent place to be an expert. And so that model predicted over 500,000 deaths in the UK and 2.2 million in the US and was premised on the idea that this was uh what would happen if nothing was done, right? And so those numbers were so incredibly scary that we knew we needed to do something and the international community needed to do something. Again, I am not trying to downplay the threat of the virus, okay? I'm just trying to have a conversation about how these things end up affecting the world. So- million deaths are staring us in the face. Now, what do we do? Do we do some form of mitigation? Do we do a stricter lockdown? Ferguson advised that we do an extremely restrictive lockdown. The other doctor that I just mentioned, Dr. Sridhar, said, we're all using the 1918 pandemic flu handbook, but we're in a different position than 1918. We're in 2020, okay? And so the, the strategy here was was to lock things down uh, as close as we as our societies would allow um, to the way China handled things in Wuhan and which they were basing on Chinese statistics, so what we have is models based on prior pandemics, which means old information that we know certain things about that information have have changed and circumstances around the information have changed, right, and we only know those as well as we possibly can with the history and the records that were created. And that haven't been maintained since 1918, the studies that have been done on it, which I'm sure there are mountains of, and that some of these people understand fantastically well. I'm not saying that they are lacking the ability or the the care and concern while they're creating their numbers, while they're creating their models, while they're formulating their opinions, okay? I'm not implying any ill will towards these people or uh, incompetence at all, none, okay? Okay. But the problem with these sorts of things is that they're reliant on past information, however accurate or applicable. You know, the differences in the situations as they exist now, population differences, population centers where the hotspots have sprung up from, elements of what the disease entails, their best knowledge about whether or not heat or sunlight or humidity affect the virus, right? All sorts of fucking things. And then into those things, they add what's happening on the ground as we speak. The new information comes in, the model gets adjusted, the model gets adjusted, the model gets adjusted, right? No modeler, to my knowledge, would ever claim that they are presenting a perfect picture of the future. Otherwise, we could just model everything and solve all our problems, right? Models are inherently meant to show you a possible range of what could happen based on certain assumptions and prior information, no matter how good or bad that information is and how much it applies to the current situation, okay? And so then a few weeks ago, um, this was the time that everybody was like, oh, damn, it's serious now, right? So Trump gets out in the uh, Rose Garden with... Dr. Fauci and Deborah Burks, and they discussed the IHME model. And at the time, they believed that that model, the understanding was that that model on the low end was suggesting it was possible for a hundred, 160, 200,000 deaths in the United States since that time. And by the way, that is, and this is the, this is the, the response that everybody gives. Well, oh yeah, but can't you see like this as proof that our methods are working? And I'm like, Sure, but relative to what? Like, are they working relative to a model that has already readjusted itself down and down and down? That only indicates that an input to that model initially was not accurate because the only thing that matters is what's actually happening in the real world, which is the difference that I'm trying to describe to you between between theory and reality. The model is a projection of theory done with the most care, the most insight, the most knowledge, the most experts, all that. Again, the best they can possibly do is give us a roughly accurate picture of what might happen according to this and that and the other thing, right? But there are things that it cannot account for in reality and nothing can account for everything in reality. Like we could say, for instance, that the are not you, I'm, think you guys hopefully know what an R-naught is by now, but it's the rate at which one person is going to infect other people. So an R-naught of five um, means that one person is going to infect five people, where an R-naught below one means that for every person who gets infected, it it is not even clear that they will infect one other person, much less multiples, right? But even that situation in itself is completely dependent on Real world factors, right? So I was talking with my friend and this is the example I gave and I'll give it to you guys. And again, if there's an epidemiologist or a modeler out there who tells me I'm getting something wrong, I'm more than happy to let them express to the fullest extent they want on this show and I will put it out where exactly I'm getting it wrong and I will continue to ask them questions about that until I feel like, damn, I need to retract what I said or... or. That there is, uh, that we are missing each other on nuance and maybe there's a, a certain point in the middle that maybe what I'm saying is partially right, but not completely. Whatever. I'm open to all those possibilities. Okay. But the fact remains that the models that were accounting for our mitigation efforts as part of the model were still off by factors of three, by factors of 10, by factors of, of a hundred. I'm not trying to make light of the lives lost due to the pandemic. I'm really not, okay? But what we are doing is we are basing massive decisions that involve and affect everyone, and those decisions are being guided by models that have problems inherent in them. Again, the model might be the closest and the best thing we get to to advice-worthy information. That's fine. This is not a knock on the idea of models it's it's just the statement that these things need to be held in perspective and the people we task with holding these things in perspective are our public representatives and if our public representatives are being when they're making decisions are visibly taking into account these models and responding to these models then what they are doing is listening to the experts okay when Fauci and Burks are on stage with Donald Trump they have disagreed with things he's have said. He said they have clarified things he said, but if they're not doing that, and in fact, they're saying the same things that he's saying, then it might be time to readjust the the prior idea that Donald Trump is not saying the right things. Okay. Because you're saying, because Donald Trump is saying this, and it doesn't comport to your biases from the models or from the information that you've received, that now his opinion is invalid. And not only that, that the two experts next to him should now be put in a state of doubt and question because they are not agreeing with what you say and what you thought about the situation before. So who in this situation is not listening to the experts? More after the ad.